What's happening? This is Daryl with another Narratives Over Wine and Whiskey podcast episode. As always, we're having interesting conversations about prevalent topics over a good glass of wine or whiskey. Today, I've got a Jack Daniels Single Barrel Select that I'm going to be working on. Um, very excited. Got it as a gift from my brother. So, yeah. Um, let's go ahead and jump into today's topic. Today, I want to touch on the impact that humanity is having on the environment. Um, not just for ourselves, but also for the world around us. And really take a look at how we are adversely affecting the earth. So just to give a little bit of, of context on my perspective, I was never anyone who was a super tree hugger, but I did grow up in a community that was very, very aware of the impact of the environment. Um, so went to school in Chapel Hill, which is right next to, for lack of a better term, the hippie town of Carborough, North Carolina. And Carborough is probably one of the most environmentally aware communities in the state of North Carolina, if not in the Southeast. So I've always been in tune with nature um, I've always had opportunities to recycle. I, I think that I am a fairly environmentally aware individual. That being said, we're all still learning. It's still a process. And so as a naturally curious person, as someone who reads and writes a lot, um, I've, I've started to question what would this world look like, not without humankind, but without all of our technological advancements, right? So it was a few years back, maybe, maybe five years, I believe, um, the New York Times did a piece on what um, Manhattan would look like without human interaction. Let me pull this up real quick. So, correction, it was not the New York Times, but it was um, a TED Talk that was done by um, a guy named Eric Sanderson, and he made a 3D map of what New York, or what Manhattan would look like right now if there was no human interaction. And I mean, it's gorgeous, extremely green, um, I mean, that, that's all it is, and excuse me, it's not without human interaction. It's without the colonists coming in. So Native Americans were there. The land was thriving. Everything was great. But now, you know, fast forward 400 years, and you have the proverbial concrete jungle. And it, um, it truly did change from just being a, an area of greenery to what we see now as nothing but skyscrapers and highways. And, and so you look at those small things and you think, well, that's just the way that technology and, and life and humanity progress. But we've been speeding up our progression very rapidly for the past, you know, 500 years. And the environment is not able to keep up or maybe we're not able to keep up with what the environment has to offer so eventually 
one way or another, something's going to shut down. It's probably going to be us. I can't see Earth losing a battle to humanity. It'll just do to us what it did to the dinosaurs, and then who knows what's next. But this, um, this podcast episode was inspired by an Instagram video that I saw recently of birds flying out of, excuse me, falling out of the sky in areas that had high, um, high 5G frequencies. So these birds, you know, they're in the air all the time. Um, of course, frequencies, everything is a frequency. Light is, light is a frequency, sound is a frequency. Everything moves within frequencies. And so these birds which use the air to navigate, like they use wind, um, they're being thrown off by our technological advancements. And, and that's pretty interesting to me because I'm thinking, wow, so if, if the frequency waves that we are sending are strong enough to throw off a bird's internal navigation system, how else does that affect the world around us, right? And so I started to think about the things that we have created that are now having an, a non-complementary impact on the environment that it's in. So let's take it back to the example of New York then and now. New York then had no highways, animals could roam freely. If they happened to get hunt, hunted down, so be it. But for the most part, they were in a very organic and natural setting with beings that primarily killed them for out of necessity. Versus now, you have, an example is a deer. A deer is trying to go from point A to point B. And 500 years ago, point A to point B was all grassland. Maybe some dirt um, paths, but for the most part, it was as it had been for thousands of years. Right now, that same point A to point B likely encompasses grass, gravel, dirt, and of course pavement. How are animals and how is the environment adapting to what we have rapidly and without any logical process developed to replace what was naturally there? How, how did these elements that had nothing to do with, with this adapt to the, the surroundings? You know, um, and I, I'm going to post this. Uh, the image of New York then and now on my Instagram and Facebook and probably Twitter as well but um, in narrowpodcast.com so yeah I'm going to post the picture but I just wonder first you have what did the Americas look like pre-colonization and then you have the question of what did the Americas look like pre-industrialization right so Two totally different times. You know, were we cutting down trees? Certainly. But it was not in the same vein of mass production and capitalism as is now, where we must conquer and eradicate all 
aspects of nature so that we can have more and more and more money. Our current overconsumption is throwing a huge wrench in the ecosystem. Um, the other day I was riding in my Uber and my driver said that he purchased the car that he drives for Uber so that he could buy another car that he really liked. Um, and I just wonder how much are we consuming and taking from the environment so that we can live the lives we selfishly want to live. And we're really not thinking long term. We're not thinking about our kids or their kids. We're thinking about ourselves in this moment and we know the answer. We really know how to fix all of this. The problem is we are so selfish and so individualistic that we won't. So, um, so yeah. I I want to ask the question in our current social climate is sustainability a possibility or do we just go ahead and throw in the towel and say hey you know what we got two more generations on this earth let's live it up let's mess it up and feel bad for my great great grandkids because they're not gonna be able to breathe or do we make the decision hey I can eat less meat <clears throat> I can eat less meat I can purchase fewer products, I can recycle more, do we really make the conscious effort to try to save the earth, knowing that a lot of other people just aren't going to do it? I think that, um, I think that it's worth it. A lot of people might not agree, a lot of people might think, hey, I'll be the only one doing it, so there's no point, but I beg to differ. Um, so, talk about the environmental aspects. But now let, let's talk about the racial implications and economic implications of not taking care of the earth around us. So predominantly black communities are historically targeted when it comes to placing wastelands either in or right next to our communities so that our water sources become polluted. This type of environmental injustice and um, essentially poisoning of black families is unacceptable. And it's something that, though I knew it happened, I wasn't as well versed in it until, you know, over the past month or so, I've been doing a lot more reading and um, have, been able, have been in rooms to have more conversations about the issues that impact black people, um, brown people, and people who don't have readily have the resources available to them to fight back against these corporate giants who think only with their pockets and not with their hearts not thinking about the communities that they are harming um, recently I had the opportunity to work with an organization that brought um, Mark Ruffalo better known as the Hulk from the Avengers they brought him to North Carolina and Mark's point was there are corporations poisoning the water sources in North Carolina and not being held accountable for it. Now the communities that they are poisoning are more often than not black, brown, and or poor. This wouldn't happen in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It wouldn't happen at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. 
If it won't happen in the richest parts of the nation, it should not happen in the poorest. The issue is, more often than not, we don't care about the poor. And as a result, we continue to make enemies. And we continue to, to hurt those who need us to help them the most. You know, just, just in, in looking at some of my notes, from birds falling out of the sky to overheating water because of the chemicals that we place in them, to mass production, overconsumption, um, we really are continuing to drive the point home that we don't care about the earth, we don't care about the people who live on it, we care about our current experiences, and I'm guilty of it too. <laughs> Jay-Z said on, uh, on Lost Ones, I'm guilty of it too, but not like them. Um, yeah, I'm eating less meat, but I'm still eating meat. Um, that's having an, a negative impact on the environment. I still drive sometimes. Um, I'm biking a lot more right now, but I still drive. But it, it's all about things in moderation and America and its capitalism and its brand of capitalism are so 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 self-sabotaging that it's sad. I truly believe that we would rather experience the next 40 years in utter ignorance and bliss than to do what it takes to save the earth and repair some of the damages we've done. But that is one of the most American traits that we have, and we're we're still living by it. We're gonna, I think, we're gonna hold on to it until we ruin the entire earth. So we don't apologize. We don't rectify what we did wrong. We keep it moving as if nothing happened. Um, slavery, wars. Um, when we go into other countries and help lead a, um, a revolt. We do not apologize for the things that we've done. We keep it moving and then we say, oh wait, we'll just try to fix it next time. There's not a next earth. This is where we're at. This is where we have to live. And we can't just continue to dump in the poor communities because eventually the rich, <laughs> it's funny, the wealthy are going to be wealthy regardless, but the rich are getting poorer and more and more, I don't know if poorer is a word, but they're getting more and more poor. And, and sooner than later, we're going to see that only a very few have any semblance of, of peace in their lives. Or we can do what it takes to change this and, and turn it around. So that's it for the day, man. Um, kind of morbid. I don't have a lot of faith in humanity, but I do have faith in individuals. And I do believe that if a lot of individuals decide, I'm going to recycle more, I'm going to eat less meat, I am going to use less electricity, I'm going to find more sustainable form of, uh, or a more sustainable form of transportation. If we can do more and more of that, maybe we can turn this thing around. And what does turning it around look like? Um, it looks like planting more trees. It looks like you know, subscribing to Meatless Mondays. Think about how much we, we would. <laughs> it's very simple. Just think about it. 
out of the seven days of the week, if we took one day off of our meat consumption, right? That is... That's about 15%. So 15% of the greenhouse gases caused by mass production of meat. If we could knock down 15% over the next 10 years, I'm willing to bet we would have a, um, a fighting chance because that's the same as one out of every seven humans just not eating meat. Sounds great. Yeah, it was up for the farmers, but would you rather have an industry or a species? I'm sorry. F your industry. And that that's what we have to realize. We have to we have to stop letting the government tell us you have to sacrifice the long term for the right now. No, you should be sacrificing the right now for the long term. We think so backwardly and it's seeped out of our, our homes and off of our phones and into our government and now the government is paying for us to maintain a, a level of meat dependency and dairy dependency that we really need to wean ourselves from. So yeah, um, looks like planting more trees, looks like eating less meat, it looks like driving less. You know, um, last month I purchased a bike and I try to, I, usually, I go into the office three, maybe four days a week usually, five if it's a crazy week, but what I try to do is at least three of those days I'm trying to hop on the bus from city to city and then hop off the bus and get on my bike and bike into the office and it's not just for myself. So of course my health is paramount to being able to have a positive impact on the world around me. But it's not just that. It's also, hey, let me change the narrative. Black people don't care about the environment. Black people don't bite. Black people are too cool. No. Black people are the environment. There would be no humanity without black people. And so it would behoove us more than anyone to outlast everyone which means we have to take better care of our bodies, we have to take better care, we have to make it cool to care about the environment because when black people say something is cool, guess what? Then white kids think it's cool. When white kids think it's cool, then it becomes a trend. So, let's switch up the narrative. We have to become environmentalists. And it's not that we've never been environmentalists, it's just preached to us that that's not a black issue, that's a white hippie issue, let them handle it. Well. About to show y'all something. All right. So, in Warren County, I believe it's Warren County. Yep, Warren County. They tried to put a landfill with terrible chemicals into um, the town of Afton. Afton, predominantly black town, and so in what turned out to be one of the first environmental protests of the modern era black people black men and women in Warren County said we don't want that in our community we don't want that pipeline in our community we don't want those chemicals in our water system we will not allow you all to poison us it's 
that is the beginning of the modern environmental protest movement. And it started with black people in North Carolina. But that's not told to us because if black people realize that it is, it is in our best interest to fight against the powers that be who are working to poison our water systems, it, it, you know, then that changes things. Then that changes narratives. Then that gives us more ownership over fighting for our kids and fighting for our children. There's actually a landmark marker that reads PCB protest. Toxic waste illegally dumped along North Carolina roads was moved to a landfill two miles east of here in 1982. Protest sparked environmental justice movement in the US. This was done by black people, but it's not taught in history classes across the state of North Carolina. It's not on the news. When you think about environmental justice and the fight that's being had, it looks like it's white corporations versus white hippies. But it's really us. It's those of us who are going to the, the city council meetings and saying, we don't want this company here poisoning our waters. It's those of us who are in Flint, Michigan saying, hey, why are these pipes corroded? It's the folks in McDougal Terrace, Durham, North Carolina, asking about the emissions that are in their homes. Environmental justice is so much bigger than the media paints it to be, and it's so much blacker. Why aren't we, in, why aren't we on the front lines like we used to be so that our children, so that our elders, so that our women are protected as they should be? Time to change the narrative, folks. Anyway, that's it for this episode. I look forward to getting some feedback from you all. Feel free to leave a comment on the website, narrowpodcast.com. Um, other than that, I'll catch you next week, same time, same place. Peace. Have a great week.